Good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to On the Record Off the Cuff album reviews. Bit of a nice, pleasant, special one this evening, insofar as uh, it's, it's almost a, a chronological year since uh, I uploaded the first the first review. So uh, we are remembering that first review, which was the Wonder Stuff's Eight Legged Groove Machine, their first album, by doing their second album, which is Hope. Again, this, we decided to do a Wonder Stuff album for the first album because it was uh, one of the, the main things, I guess, that uh, myself and Ian and Martin, who are with us this evening. Hello. Hello. It was uh, the Wonder the Wonder Stuff is very, very common ground. We have a, a fair amount of common ground, but the Wonder Stuff is, is particularly common ground. Here we are, a year in, looking at Hope, Wonder Stuff's second album. General album feelings, then. Who wants to start off? Well, I was just going to say, should we break with the format? Because we're doing a the second album, and we've done the first one. But, importantly, between Eight-Legged Groove Machine and Hup, there was a rather important single, which is something of a bridge between the two albums, I would say. And there, and there was me looking at my notes going, oh, I can throw this in. Too late. Go on, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, oh, now what was it called? <laughs> Something about disco, something. Who wants to be the disco king? Was a, a a non-album single that came out sometime after Eight Legged Groove Machine and sometime before Hop. And I would say probably bridges the two albums kind of nicely from a from a tone point of view. It's definitely has a well four legs <laughs> in each album um although we acquired some more legs for for this album obviously so i just thought it's it's probably <laughs> it's probably worth just just noting that one for anybody who listens along at home um it's probably worth having a list a listen to that one as a uh, uh, as a as a single i like the leg quips there anybody <laughs> who do, anybody who doesn't know ian um his um which is probably most people are listening. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, that is not disparaging at all. I was I was leading into one of Ian's uh, life skills as well as like multi instrumentalism is is stand up comedy. So he always has good material prepared, which is awesome <laughs> in, that, in that sense. But with, just with regard to Disco King, yeah, really really good single in in a very very non negative way. I kind of wish it had made it onto this album. Yeah, um, I think it would have sat. I don't disagree one jot that it feels like it's halfway between between Eight Legged Groove Machine and Hup sonically, but I kind of wish it had have landed on this album. I think it this album could have done with this as part of its undulating sort of makeup. It would have something a piece that would have fit. I think. I think it would have made a cracking opener. To be honest, as a, a first track, it would have would have worked well. Yep, leading mm. into a few things. Uh, Disco, Disco King Martin. Yeah. I know somebody who used to sing this quite well. <laughs> I know somebody who used to sing it rather badly, but uh, <laughs> no, it's it's a bizarre thing in the fact that I agree. It, it is kind of just on the cusp of we're leaving the territory of Eight Legged Groove Machine, and we're going somewhere that's slightly different, and it's got a, da- a more dancier feel to it, but it's still very very rocking, which is. We were talking about it, you know, it should have been on the album, which I thought the, the thing that really surprised me is when they re-released this album with like extra tracks, is this wasn't include, you know, they didn't include yeah that particular track, and it, it, was, it was like, hang on a sec, does it not belong? 
Well, well, uh, yeah, because it gets more interesting still, because after this album and before the next album, there was another non-album single <laughs> in, in Circle Square, which, again, I think, <laughs> trying to transition between mm. those two albums, arguably, yeah. and that was included on the reissue. So we- it makes it even, even stranger that, that um, Disco King wasn't. Mm. Weirdly enough, I would have pulled that song onto this album as well, yeah. rather than pushed it onto <laughs> Neville Elvin, which could which could subtly speak to something about this album, which is going to be interesting exploring. But we can talk about that next year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, the context of Hope. So obviously, the Wonder stuff are are, are still a, a gigging and recording concern, and um, Miles is still a great performer and a songwriter. Um, for me. Hate to use the word classics. I suppose classic is different things to different people. For me, the classic four albums are these four albums, and these are the four albums which mark the wonder stuff as the, as the wonder stuff for me. Of these four albums, however, and I say this very much in context because I deal a lot all four of them. I think that my, my least of the four favourites in the world, rather than the one, if you know what I mean. It's, it's my it's my fourth favorite, 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 awesome Wonder Stuff album. Would be this one. I, I'm not exactly sure what it is about it. Whether the it feels as if the theme. It, it it's a bit of an album, which is a discovery as well as an album. And I think that thematically, it feels ever so slightly frayed around the edges at times. But but a brilliant album that I enjoy a lot, a lot. I think I I I echo the same sentiment. Yes. All the stuff that Miles has written, even the, the kind of event stuff, um, it's all good, good songwriting. But these those first four albums are the kind of classic era wonder stuff. And I'd say the same. Hup is probably, of four albums that I love, um, Hup is the one I'd rank at number four. And I think the first time I heard Eight Leg Groove Machine, I instantly liked every song on first listen. So I was already very much wonder stuff apologist when hub came out and i i i got it as it came out and i was excited and i kind of liked it but i didn't quite have that same visceral reaction to instantly like everything i had to, there were some standouts which i absolutely loved on first listen um and we'll we'll probably mention those as we go through but some of it took a, a little more listening to kind of fall into place it's well it's it's the age old cliche you've got all your life to write your first album and then you your second yeah. album, it's like, ah! And also, they were going through a very trans- transitional time in relationships, both in the band and personal relationships, as will become apparent with one yeah. of the songs that we talk about later on. Things weren't in a good place. You know, it, it was known at the time that, that the bass thing wasn't sticking around, and there was a lot of bad blood, even though they loved each other, you know. But it's, it's an album that you can tell what Miles was listening to at the time. And there was less of what he was into, what he was good at, more of what he was listening to that he wanted to be good at, if you get what I'm saying. You know, you're always going to be influenced by things, and uh, it's a case of how far you're going to, oh, I've listened to this, therefore I'm going to do this. And I think it suffers to a degree from that. Uh, And indeed, I will quote from a, a friend of mine last night, when I mentioned we were going to do this, this is uh, a bit like the greatest hits was if the Beatles had read Hunt. Uh, this was if Miles hadn't listened to the Waterboys. <laughs> Shout out to uh, Name Check Weebles there. Yes, for that. indeed, uh, the mighty Weebles. Piece of wisdom. So um, 
there's one other thing as well that's that, that becomes apparent as you go through and Miles Hunt's commented on it and when they re-recorded the album they they sorted this out but the track listing is a <laughs> bit weird. Um, yeah. There is there is there is one song in particular that we will get to that that mm. stands out like a sore thumb, and then when you take again more subtle looks at it, there are actually a few things that perhaps don't ring quite true to what you might expect uh, a band to want to do for their overall sort of flow dynamic for for a track listing. So again, I don't know. You know, when you come to the album the first time, I don't know if subconsciously that sort of uh, put, puts you on edge or, or, or sets you sets you in the wrong direction ever so slightly yeah. or not. It's a very different band from the first album, and this this was the last album as uh, as a four piece. Even though they had other players on it, they weren't official members of the band yeah. at the time. So yeah. they were they were kind of growing new legs, but they they, were, <laughs> they, they weren't they weren't fused to the body yet. <laughs> well, yeah, this. Definitely, this idea of, of growing and doing some discovery on the album, in line with what you just said, for sure, with obviously fiddle as a bit banjo, with some um, look, well, plenty, yeah, yeah, plenty of samples of loops, and some, some even some bongos kicking about in there, <laughs> which I think is kind of cool. But okay, then let's uh, let's crack on through. So the album starts with Thirty Years in the Bathroom. I'd, I'd question whether this should be the first uh, the first song on the album, but I do kind of like the fact that it opens with what's known in the trade as a dat intro type of <laughs> type of thing. You know, a bunch of samples that are put together to create a bit of a bit of mood and a, a collage of, of of different audio. And I, I I do like that at the beginning of an album, though I think that probably works better in a live environment as opposed to the beginning of an album. Mm. Yeah. Because the song that follows is a little bit, 30 Years in the Bathroom is a little bit more sort of mid-pace. It doesn't mm. it doesn't stamp its authority. Now, don't get me wrong, great song. Love the way it starts. You've got some uh, uh, drum loops and then a huge cacophony of, of, of guitar sound when it comes in. And then when you hit the first uh, first chorus, you get the, the organic drums coming on top of it and they maintain through the track pretty much. And it lifts it and, it and it does its thing. But I don't know the pacing. I love I love this song, but I always think, ah, is this is this in the right place? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But some really interesting stuff on it. It's very full, very produced. There's lots lots of stuff's gone on here. Um, I mentioned the bongos uh, bongos earlier on. There's like in the breakdown. There's all sorts of things going on. But I'd love to know if anybody's actually playing those or if they were smashing smashing keys on a on, on a MIDI <laughs> keyboard or. Or what have you? I think the groove controller probably did it because uh, he could quite possibly, yeah. quite possibly, all, all, all hell guilty, all hell guilty. Mm. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. It, it it just feels ever so slightly throwing shade on itself because of where it is. If you know what I mean. Mm. Main thing that stands out though is the, those huge guitars, huge. Think I think they're like open tunings. I don't think they're like standard tunings, but huge sort of wet sounding open tuning guitars over this sort of mid-paced sort of repressive groove good track but somewhat somewhat focused more by what comes next for me yeah i mean it's it's almost a a, a cliche of our 
podcast probably uh, me but <laughs> more than any but i think normally when we've looked at the first track we say yes this is definitely an opening statement this is what the album's about yeah and, and <laughs> you cannot say that of this track it does no. not it does not represent the album uh, partly because there's so much variety in the album it would be ridiculous to try and get all those components in imagine sticking a banjo in the, in the middle of this somehow it just you know it, it wouldn't it wouldn't necessarily work but it if you listen to this this is why i was talking about disco king because if you listen to groove machine and then disco king and this it's changed there's there's a, there's a measured change of tone which to go back to your point about the the uh, the tracking order could have been avoided with some slightly different placement there's there's a couple of songs which are more obviously pick up more of the groove machine sound and would would lead you into the album a little bit more than this one does but yeah it's it's great it does have some of the the kind of stuff is signatures like the muted left hand jugger jugger um <laughs> um guitars which which are always uh always good fun so there are those those you know and there's no mistake in miles's voice but it is it is a tone that they've not gone to before and it is a, a curious one to open with i mean paddy's mentioned this earlier on i think in a live environment, it probably works. The intro, what I really like, I like the kind of radio dial switching so you get the static in between, mm. and it does build you something. And then it doesn't seem to really go where it should go. It's a, it's a mid-tempo. I love the lyrics. Um, yeah, the lyrics are great. The, the thing about Miles that I've always admired is his turn of phrase is just genius sometimes. There's the odd quip that comes out and this is one where the feeling you get is just such a dour you know it's got in brackets of the song the Europe's a dreadful experience November 1988 you know it's you get the feeling that it's not a happy person that's writing these lyrics at this time you know and it, it comes out in it and I enjoy that but tempo wise it's a bit of a plodder mm-hmm. dour so, dour yeah. is a good word Martin mm. for this because my, my... I put little bullet points when I make my notes and I listen over and listen over. And the bu- the last bullet point I put was it's a little bit of a downer for an opening song. Mm. So in a sense, forget the pace sonically, the whole mood is yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a sigh as opposed mm. to a punch. Yeah. And uh, it goes back to exactly what Ian said. Our but- I mean, who the hell are we to say what should we <laughs> yeah. have? Is, is yeah. the bottom line. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like I say, Miles Hunt is is physically incapable of writing bad lyrics. The guys at just, yeah. they, they fall out of him like um, spring water. The guy's brilliant. And, and he's, he's writing superb. But I don't know. Yeah, I think it's more, more placement than anything that's really wrong with the song. Yeah. yeah. And uh, from a, you know, from a record company point of view, we've talked about, and we'll come back to it at various points, the placing of songs on this album. And this is a strange one. After that, I, I, I'm, I'm completely in agreement with the point Ian made earlier on. Disco King, the way that that kicks in. After that, you know, radio intro, something like that, or even the next song, with it being a kind of Ooh, radio thing, would have been perfect <laughs> for it. But it just seems to have that intro and then just not really... Whole not quite delivered. Yeah. Do you want to do you want to kick us off kick us off with the radio askis then, Martin? Because I think you've nailed the absolute pertinent point about radio yeah. askis. Yeah. Well, go there there we go. You know, we've got this lovely radio intro that then leads into the rest of the first song. 
whereas Radio Askis, which to me is a single that never was, but I can understand why it wasn't released. <laughs> <laughs> because let's face it, you try to get radio play for a song that's basically slagging off <laughs> DJs, it's not going to work. But the, I think the song is better for it. You know, it's a case of we're going to write this radio-friendly song about hating DJs, so it's counterproductive, and so it's braver for that, and it's just an absolute stonker for me, is Radio Askis. It's got, as you, say, as you mentioned there, Ian, it's got those chuggers, and it's just got all the signposts of classic stuffies, but it's not frightened of being even more poppy than most of the stuff on the first album, but mm. it, it kicks ass. <laughs> it's a song that no matter how many times I hear it, I'm just like, yep, I'm in, I'm in a good place for this. It's definitely one that makes you smile. Mm. It's funny what you just said there about why it wouldn't have been a single. I came onto this thinking one of the things was going to be, well, this should have been the first single, undoubtedly. It should have been the album opener mm. and the first single, which just goes to show, as I always say, I tend to, I do listen to lyrics, but nowhere near as much as the as the rest of the components <laughs> of the song. Yes, there's the proof. You're absolutely right. It would have been a contentious decision to try and, uh, it'd be like selling ice, no, not selling ice cubes. It'd be um, getting a turkey to vote for Christmas type mm. thing, rather than selling ice cubes. Yes, come on, what nonsense. Um, but yeah, no, really, really superb. Quite, quite a funky edge to it. Mm. It feels like, it very much feels like something off eight like a groove machine that's matured yep. and is in its early 20s as opposed to its late teens. There's some lovely little interesting things that they do sonically, that sort of little sort of strange 90s dance style dropout with a little yeah. tinkly xylophone for the same yeah. verse. That's absolute genius. And again, it's a, it's a funky riff. Not The guitar line is a bit reminiscent of Goodnight, though, later. Not, not in terms of playing the same line, but the stylistics. That's kind of staccato delivery. Yeah, yeah, and that's 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 a uh, sort of stone cold funk groove in a way, just just on a different on top of a diff, slightly different canvas, you know, like a pop canvas. Yeah, it is a shame that the, um, the shall we say the lyrics were counterproductive then for airplay because mm. I just think it would it would have been a brilliant single, and the album should have opened with this. Yeah. I just think yeah. you know a, an album. Oh, that the idea of an album that starts with. Radio Askis on the air. It's like, that's perfect. Absolutely perfect. It's like, um, you know, a joyous, a joyous shout of, of that dynamic, but sod the radio. It's brilliant. <laughs> I, you know, the, the contradiction was just brilliant. Absolutely. I think if, if, if maybe this had come out 10 years later, then actually it could have been a single because people would have wallowed in the irony of it all, mm. you know, uh, <laughs> in a yeah. more kind of self-congratulatory way. But then, you know, it wouldn't have been as pointed 10 years later. Miles would have had to dig <laughs> deeper and, and 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 get even more out of his uh, lyrical uh, toolbox. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've mentioned this before about uh, the lyricists of, of that kind of era, uh, Miles Morrissey and Paul Weller. And, you know, the Smiths had you know done Panic with Hang the DJ, but I think this is braver because it, it's much more it's more barbaric in in, in its delivery. And what was really great is uh, they did release this as a single to American alternative radio stations because obviously a different kind of yeah. genre of music before we had XFM and alternative stations over here it was basically Radio One or local radio that played pop music or nothing. Mm. Uh, but when they released it in America as a promo single, 
there was toilet paper with radio ass kiss on it which was genius <laughs> you know and that's what i could you know would love to have seen over here but like i say you just didn't have a chance you had to you had to play the game all the worse for it because it is it is something that it's got elements of beach boys with its harmonies you know and oh, again perfectly crafted yeah. pop song yeah. Right down to the, the, the coda, the Nazi, Nazi yeah. kind of thing. It's just it's just incredibly well put together, yeah. you know, and uh, it's just another... Actually, in one song, it kind mm. of shows why the, why the Wonder Stuff weren't bigger, because that's a perfectly uh, put-together song, and um, it's kicking the teeth in of the very people <laughs> they rely on to make them a bigger band. And if it hadn't, it wouldn't be Miles. That's, yeah. I mean... That's the more, well, we, you, we know his relationship to the music yeah. press at the, at, the, at the time. They, I mean, they hated yeah. the band. They didn't make themselves easy to love when they first started because Miles was, you know, he, he was uh, cantankerous in his interviews. Uh, yeah. Very, you know, on tour in Europe, I hate being in here. I want to go home. I hate this. You know, and, and that's, you know, why the first track is sometimes, you know, bracketed the way it is. But he was never one for playing the industry game. It's a yeah. case of this is my music, this is my art accept it as it is if you don't like it well f you doesn't that have a lot of life though years later that's, oh, that's, absolutely. that's a lovely mm. thing about it the man was completely genuine and he he was just himself yeah no uh, fantastic stuff fantastic on to uh <laughs> the country western stuff <laughs> i just i oh my intro i'm so crap with bands utterly crap I, my first intro to the Wonder Stuff in any significance, you know, I'd heard, I'd heard Dizzy, I'd heard Size of a Cow, I was aware of them and 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 etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But I saw the video for the Phoenix, the, uh, the Phoenix gig, gig the, the yeah. last yeah. gig, and uh, when, when I sort of heard a, you know, broader broader selection of the songs, as it were, and I always loved the the stuff about at the beginning of this song where he said this is when we invented country and western <laughs> it's like yeah man that's again yeah. so miles yeah fantastic song uh, and and a little bit of a of a simple sort of it's called golden green by the way just for people uh we are uh, one thing i notice sometimes we forget to we forget to say what the <laughs> songs are <laughs> i suppose it helps i suppose it helps to a degree but yeah, what can you say about it? Simply constructed country song done brilliantly. Lovely little um, key change in the middle that, that brings it up effectively. Uh, I mean, the simple stuff's the best stuff that works. Plus, you're pulling in uh, some of the other musical talents and stylistics uh, also into this song with the introduction of some banjo and some fiddle and in the live versions, Pete Whitaker's keyboards as well. Mm -hmm. and, and that's a honky-tonk piano which fits this song perfectly. As with all Wonder Stuff songs, lovely lush backing vocals. This type of tune, the structure of this type of tune lends itself beautifully to that as well. You know, this is this is variety, isn't it? This is part of a of a, um, a positive patchwork quilt of different different stylings and going in slightly different directions with different instrumentation. And it was a great, you know, great single. When they released Disco King, the, the the tracks that were on the B side were kind of live versions acoustic, uh, and I think Miles was listening to a lot more, um, should we say, breadth of music, and got into a lot of different bands, and that kind of informed his songwriting very much on this album. Not being disrespectful, because uh, you, you choose from the best. 
you know, when you listen to bands like Spirit, Spirit of the West, the Water Boys, you know, the Water Boys are such a varied canon. People just think of them as a fid- you know band, or they do fiddly pokery, but nah, so much to the Water Boys. Go out and check them out, and for people to go, oh, it's just fiddle music. No, it, there's a lot more going on, as you said. The harmonies in this song, particularly, are the thing that uh, that win it over for me because it's a very simple song. It's a toe tapper. It does what it, it's meant to do. It doesn't stay around for too long, and I think all the better for it. Well, those, those harmonies, if you listen along, especially in the car, it's impossible to sing this song and not sing a harmony along yeah. to the. To the there's so many to choose from, and you know they layer them all. Mm. It's you know it's it, it's it's brilliant for that. I mean, the lyrics, again, I mean, if, if we were to choose some Wonder Stuff lyrics to put in some kind of museum, I, I think she's taken all my vitamins, used up my lighter fl- fuel, I'm sure she stole all my pencil lead in school. Mm. I mean, that says, I, I mean, not only does it is it a, a, an interesting metaphor, it tells a, a, a nice story, but it instantly has some kind of class I identity it's got some you know shared experience of that everyone can relate to of, of relationships at, at school and what have you kind of writ large i mean it's just it's just in, incredible um incredible incredible uh, lyric writing mm. and uh i i think just to, to touch back on the point you were making and uh weeble's uh droll comment about uh the the water boys there was definitely something in the air in the late 80s mm. with re- regards to a, a kind of almost like folk rock revival in in the uk Mm. i mean fairport reformed in like 85 like say water boys they put out fisherman's blues in 88 which is that that's the album where they embrace that the big uh, side a bit more yeah Mm. and then i mean oyster band in 86 and 87 have put out their probably most well-known folk rock albums the levelers were around they hadn't put put anything out but they were certainly touring the country like mad at that point new model army sunder and constellation came out the same year which heavily features fiddle on there you know even the wombles (laughs) (laughs) um although i know that was some but there was something there was definitely something about where a lot of the Mm. kind of alternative bands were if not embracing folk but but certainly looking at those kind of folk instruments so it's not surprising mm. that the wonder stuff with their kind of songwriting um chops bundled that up and and, and uh, you know bent it into their own will yeah well i mean another another band that people kind of forget used a lot of uh, violin and fiddle is slade yeah. Let's face it. There's a lineage between the two bands in a massive, massive way. Not, not, not just a geographical. Uh... Yes, of writing great <laughs> pop songs that you want to jump up and down to, both on Polydor Records. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and uh, I, I, I don't think it's um, a coincidence the fact that um, you know when he was young, Miles used to have members of uh, I think it was the Move. You know, have uh, fiddle players and that stopping around the house. Yeah, I mean, he, his uncle was yeah. uh, was in ELO, was ELO yeah. which obviously came out of yeah. the move. Yeah, uh, and they were, you know, cello players. You know, so that those kind yeah. of alternative instruments, you, you're going to be susceptible to thinking, oh right, well, I, I know of these, so let's see how they fit with my music. Yeah, you know, that's understandable. I like the fact with the with the stuff is though that they kind of did it. They did it from a distance. They they dipped their toe in here and there in terms of a whole album 
makes it sort of a stronger thing. I mean, I'm saying that. Yeah, they 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 weren't the War Boys. They weren't New Model Army. No, they, they were still writing. Yeah, yeah. Snarky pop pop rock punk. Uh, songs and then they folded this stuff into that mm. aesthetic rather than going uh, taking oh we're going to go folk now and taking classic folk progressions and sounding folky they just folded some of that folky or even folk instruments you mm. know it's not necessarily folk, kind of folding into what they were doing just to broaden their palette as much as anything yeah because yeah. you can only you can only write a riff so many times where you, you might want to try something a bit different and obviously you're informed by bands you heard growing up and bands you're hearing now and that's gonna, you know, anyone who says they're not gonna be influenced by something they've seen or heard is 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 a liar. The old adage, talent borrows, genius steals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's move on to uh, let's be other people. Yeah, it's, this this is a weird one. This is this is probably one of the ones that took me more more effort <laughs> for me to enjoy, and uh, kind of looking at because it, it's, it's a while since I've listened to this album actually. Because, you know, I don't need to. It's indelibly burnt into my brain. I could just uh, conjure it up. But listen to it again. It, it's, um, it strikes me that this is kind of the closest that they came to any of that kind of Manchester, Manchester kind of thing. It's got that groove and those long... It's a bit in spiral carpets, even though they came after. It's got that kind of vibe. So it, it, I don't necessarily think it fits with the rest of the album. Again, it's a... Whether you can say that on an album of so many uh, directions whether that that you know that's a, a relevant uh, relevant point but you know it moves along it's certainly not a f- one of my favorite tracks off off the album but um you know it's interesting interesting enough it sends me back to one of one of my remember painful realities of lo- loving loving certain artists and certain albums but still having to sort of consider some you know some kind of scale of what how you feel about a track or how you feel about an album and similarly it, it's the closest thing i wouldn't no I, I was i almost said the closest thing to filler but it isn't because it's still got a, a solid personality uh, i agree with what you said about this sort of uh, the manchester thing it's very sort of that dreamy slushy washy wah yeah. style of thing but still with a a bit of velocity it's definitely grown on me over the years as this track I don't know. Yeah, I go back to it time and time again. It's like a lot of the time when we talk, uh, when I talk elsewhere about Prince stuff. I'm like, you know, in the context of Prince, this probably isn't one of the best songs he wrote, but it's kind of still like most people would kill for it. I, I wouldn't be in in a funny way. I think if somebody wanted a good solid album track, <laughs> they'd happily kill for this, to be honest. But that's that's the context of its. Of, of trying to scale it, which is a bit of a stupid thing to do, really, anyway. But I suppose if you're going to articulate opinions, you're sort of a bit stuck from being able to do anything else. I prefer it lyrically than I do musically. I love lyrics that make me think. And this is one where I, I remember the first time I heard it, I thought, what the hell is this guy on about? It's crazy today. You know, oh, congratulations on your death. It's like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> No, it's a very bizarre lyrically phrased track with no real chorus. No. You know, it's got the coda introducing one of life's bright dreams that keeps it new can I can but it doesn't really have a chorus that, that hooks in. I love the like I say the, the lyrics, but musically it's odd, I find. It's it's a riff, but not one of his best songs. Mm-hmm. That's all I'll say. Can't really feel much about it. 
moving on to a song which probably has a a lot more feelings, probably for resultant reasons, mm. sadly, rather than intentional reasons, but Piece of Sky. Martin, now then, when we used to do a few of these, I, yeah. I'm sure Piece of Sky was one of your favourites. Yes, uh, I always, from the very first time I heard this song, I just thought it was beautiful. I like sentiment, and it's a bizarre, I love the instrumentation on it as well, because it's like a, it's like a, I'm not great with instruments, it sounds like banjo going off and other instruments that are going on in it mainly, and that just really subtle, laid-back groove to it. But lyrically, it warmed my heart the first time I heard it, even though it's lyrically, it's not that cheerful. But it's taken on a whole new meaning with the passing of uh, ex-members of the band and people that we all know and love. And indeed, the, the last time I actually uh, sang this with the Wonder Bluff uh, was three days after my father passed away and we got to this song in the set and god bless you paddy you just put your hand on my shoulder and i got through it and it was the last song of the set and i went out and i bawled my eyes out (laughs) uh but it was so cathartic because to actually do it and get through it knowing what it means to other people what it means to me and the should we say uh added sentiment that the song carries now you know uh with the bass thing and guilty no longer being with us Every time he plays it, he dedicates them, dedicates it to them. Like I said, there's people that we can all dedicate to, you know, in our own minds. That uh, it's a song that, from the very first time I heard it, I thought it was beautiful. I still do, and it's a bit like the song Carrick Fergus, an old Irish folk song. Every time I hear it, I want to cry my eyes out, but I still want to hear it. It's like "Long Live the Queen" uh, by Frank Turner. Songs that, when I hear them, make me cry. But I don't shy away from listening to it because it's a wonderful thing that music... I've always said music should make you want to laugh, cry, the F word, or fight. (laughs) Yeah, it should make you feel something. And if it doesn't, what's its point? And I was saying about the the previous song didn't make me feel anything to any great degree. This one does. It's a musical hug for me, is this... And that's probably not what it was intended for initially, but the way it's... The vehicle it, it it kind of is used to share with people. That's mm-hmm. what music can do for you, and it's something that I'll never tire of hearing, even though it gets me a bit teary. But there you go. That's nice. It's certainly sort of evolved on its own in that in mm. that way. It's it's a standard bearer for a a particular sad reality of this band. The mm. song itself, strange strangely, and I I do like it, but it. It's never entirely landed with me in a in a strange way being able to being able to interpret it through the fact that it's been used for those sentiments has has probably made it more for me over the years. I don't know. I find it a strange song. A strange song. I like the I like the shuffle that you said that sort of it you know, just sort of shuffles along. Mm. It's incredibly melancholy, obviously. Uh, yeah, I I I, I I don't really know what to say about Piece of Sky because it sort of confuses me. If you t- Again, if you take away the extra meaning that it's accrued through circumstance, I-, I just don't know. It's like an amorphous cloud for me, and I'm not saying I don't like it. I do. But, yeah, a, confu- a-, a conf- oddly confusing tune for me. <laughs> I-, I think it's interesting, Martin, that you, you talked about the instrumentation and things because mm. i think that's a very important part of this this is after all at its heart alternating two chords for 
mm. pretty much. I, I, I mean, we throw something else in in the chorus. You know, everyone writes a two chord song at some at some point, but to get the most out of it, you've actually you've got to sprinkle some arrangement magic magic over it. Otherwise, it won't have that kind of thing. It'll just be a you know back and forth <laughs> plod. So I think I think that's saves it to a, to a certain extent is the the arrangement and uh, production on it. It's a very solid foundation for those lyrics. Yeah, with Peace of Sky, um, the other thing, you know, I'm, I've said about how emotive I feel about it, but when I listen back to it, it's very kind of melancholy as if they're saying goodbye, you know, and as I mentioned earlier on, relationships in the band weren't what they were. And it almost feels like this is the adieu to the basing song for me. It's like, but in a different context of what it became, it's a case of, yeah, cheers, mate. By probably wasn't meant for that purpose, but it just that's how it felt to me. No, you might be on the money. You might well be on the money. In, you know, with retrospect, it's very kind of um, emotional, but at the time, it's more melancholic. I think it's a sitar, the, the kind of vibe at the beginning, you know, uh, which is mm-hmm. unusual and a brave instrument to use when it's just all basically being guitar, drums, and bass on on the first album. To have an open palette to actually use it and it we talked about how simple the song is it really is a simple song and i think that's what works in its favor but there we go so that for me is peace of sky i think the next one is cat shape up isn't it it is indeed uh, mm. this this one's a bit of a sleeper for me it was what one of the tracks that didn't stand out on on first listen Ian was saying about first listen uh, the way yeah. that groove machine grabs you this is more like a box of, of very varied delights. So some hit you and some don't. Now, initially, Can't Shape Up really didn't. This is probably the song on the album that's grown on me the most over the years. It was the opener on the Reformation Tour live album. And I really, really liked listening uh, to that version of it. And that, I, I guess that's how I got close to the song. It's it's another one that feels a bit like eight-legged groove machine song that's grown up a little bit. Same, I mean, it's a very it's a very easy thing to say, I suppose. It's got a more standard rock pop feel and a more standard instrumentation to it, but really like can't shape up. I always feel it's got a bit of a late era Beatlesy thing about it, but especially that that kind of when the voc- vocals first come in, it's set, it sounds a bit like that, and then you've got that kind of descending arpeggio that comes in later it just it reminds me of something off pepper or the white album you know so something of that that kind of era a bit not quite psychedelic but leaning in in that that kind of direction from a, a, a tonally yeah i get what you mean about the psychedelia kind of the phasing of the guitars mm. it's got that kind of grooviness to it this was one when whenever i've sung it i've always found it really difficult to sing because of the the, the phrasing of the lyrics i think they're great lyrics but the way that the, it's not sung like a your typical pop song it's almost semi-spoken mm. and i like that and but it's, it's unusual and it's an unusual song for me but it's funny you know. as well with it being up it's quite an emotive song i think the the place that he sort of goes sonically with the I can't save you, it's, it's mm. quite a sort of a visceral 
I wouldn't go as far as to say primal scream, but sort of approaching it. Um, there's a certain sort of desperate sort of vehemence and desperation in that lyric and the way it's delivered, which I think gives it quite a lot of power and quite a dark side to the song as well, mm. in many ways. What I find particularly uh, humorous is there's so many words in the verses, and then this chorus can't shape up, just can't shape up. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I've said all I need to say in these lyrics. That's your chorus, and you know I think it works for it because. It's a very lyrically heavy song mm. in the verse, so I think the chorus just kind of counterbalancing it with minimal, and it and it allows you to sing along to that because you can't sing along to the rest of it because it's 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 so much going on in the lyrics. Yeah, it's like a, a prose darkness and light or mm. a syntax darkness and light. Mm. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. It's good. It it's um, a good mechanic if employed well, and again. The writers and performers of this band can only cannot fail to, to execute those very very well, which leads me on to arguably mm, I, I can never quite make my mind up. Probably my favourite Wonder Stuff song, full stop. Which is ironic, bearing in mind this is my number four in in the same way of the of, of the classic albums. Don't Let Me Down Gently. I absolutely adore this song. I adore the complete reckless abandon as it just rollicks on. A question, and not a question and answer, a chorus that has a, a second overlapping line. There's just yeah. a certain kind of perfection to this song. It bounces that snare. It's just, it's just fantastic. Superb single. Always enjoyed the... Um, the video. I'm not one for. I'm not one for song videos, and oftentimes, unless it's something really clever and on point, I, I, a lot of videos lose me. So I'm like, um, as a rock singer from a rock band once said, you know, what do you want to see in a video if it's not the band playing the song that you're listening to? And and this is kind of that, except that uh, sort of um, off the back of an old stagecoach wagon in the middle of the desert. I, just, I, I don't know. It just works for somebody who very little works for in terms of music videos. So, uh, yeah, very, very dear to my heart is this one. When I'd actually got more heavily into the Wonder Stuff and I was watching the Phoenix gig, the Farewell gig, ad additional layers started to sort of envelop me as well with the poignancy of this being the, the penultimate song that they did. And the, there was a particular crowd shot. That, it, it, it was quite a high-up crowd shot. It was one of those, slightly cliche, but still very impressive. The crowd was semi-lit. There were sort of groups lit with different coloured lights and things like this. And then as soon as they get into the main beat, the bounces started and the, you know, the whole sort of ripple and wave. It was just fantastic. Mm. Yeah, don't let me down gently. Being always, 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 always being bitten at the heels of by On The Ropes for me, I have to say. But we uh, give us two years, we'll start talking about that one. <laughs> in, in year four, anniversary year four. But yeah, Don't Let Me Down, absolutely. In love this song, love it. Well, for me, uh, I would agree. I think it's a, it's a perfect pop single, not off. Um, it starts <laughs> up, the, the sweeping uh, fiddle on it is... It's not what you expected at that time from a, from that kind of pop song, and I know I've mentioned this before, and I'll keep mentioning it because he was such a unique drummer. 
he's not playing a standard 4-4 beat, but the song still just rollocks on and rollocks on. And he put in these, you know, his snare chops in that he, you know, that he's, he should be world famous for, which sadly he wasn't. <laughs> but, you know, in our circles, you know, it, it, it's spoken with a reverence because it's so signature of his sound. And in, in, a, in, a, in a short pop song to still get that in, but it just really, like you said, you can just picture people just bouncing to this all the time. And of course, the hop as well. <laughs> the archetypal hop. And the um, the one, two, three, four as well. Mm. When, when you said fiddler, it's, uh, don't you mean the the keys part? The the, the sort of keys swell? Because there's no, there's no fiddle on this one, is there? No fiddle on Don't Let Me Down. No, I think you're right. It's It, it has a lovely ha- Hammond swell. Probably, yeah. It, it, which there is, is there is now if you see it live. Yeah, yeah. On the recording, that that swells yeah. like a Hammond, and that's beautiful yeah. signature part of the song for me. It's not prominent, but there's a bit of space when you first mm. hear it, yeah. and that swell is very very signature. And yeah, the hooks, the one two three fours. Mm. Uh, oh yeah, great stuff, great stuff. It's just you know incredibly well to put together. Mm. I don't. This doesn't doesn't miss a beat you know great a great intro with a brilliant contrast into the verse and then you know another tonal shift into the chorus so it suddenly gets big and sing along the chorus and then the you know kind of the the middle eight and the you know the the uh, the knives of blood the bad the good i know i know that lyric i cannot sing that along i get the timing wrong every time it's not yeah. impossible to find where it lands this is where i, I go back to paul weller and you know Miles Hunt and Paul Weller are two brilliant lyricists. There's a, a song by the by uh, the jam called A Bomb in Water Street. And there's a bit in that that this always puts me in mind of, which he goes, it's Dr. Martin's, and it's the word apocalypse spelt out. Yeah, and I always have the same issue with that particular bit. And it's, it, it kind of falls, the way it kind of just falls into then a, a, scatter, a kind of almost like machine gun snare roll back into yeah. uh, the song is it's genius it's it's brilliantly executed but like i say it, it puts me in mind of that jam thing and i know that miles was a big fan of the jam who wasn't you know because they wrote great pop songs uh when all said and done but that particular one just puts me in mind of that in a very very uh complimentary way and just picking up on what you said about uh Again, the the, the gilksy oddness. Again, that snare, the da da, da da. When it when it, it it sort of, yeah, it's it's just not a straight four on the floor. He's such a, oh man. They would have been far far less interesting without Gilks. You could have had an awesome drummer who was a more standard drummer, but yeah, Gil, Gilks was just unique, uh, mm. unique. Perhaps not, you know. Out, out there, out there, unique. But he was unique within a, a pop sensibility, to a great degree. And the, this song is a, is a brilliant example of that, as it is a very, very straight pop song that uses a lot of very, very normal, expected dynamics. But Gilksy snare. Anybody, any, if anybody's, if anybody's listening to this who doesn't really know the strong song, just <laughs> go and listen to the snare and listen to where <laughs> those hits are and how it sort of almost pulls itself along. It's not a four on the floor, and it's just amazing. Absolutely yeah. amazing. 
On to Cartoon Boyfriend. Uh, coming off Don't Don't Let Me Down again. It's a it's another you know handbrake turn. It's a different different uh, tone. But this is it's one of those that I I think is more instantly understandable as a Wonder Stuff sounding song because uh, it's got all the com- components in there. I like in this that they've introduced the fiddle, but not as a folky fiddle. It's a rock fiddle, mm. and that to me puts it. You know, there's some touch points with um, the Levelers stuff where you've got that real kind of distortion, kind of breaking up on the edge of breaking up kind kind of fiddle sound that really drives in, and it's doing what kind of what a lead guitar would do. Uh, you know, a kind of powerful lead rather than a, a twiddly, scaly kind of, kind of thing. It really bloody drives along. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a great. Plus, the harmonies in the chorus are in, incredible. Uh, and that those those kind of I, I don't know what you kind of call those it's, the kind of vocal parts that kind of fall off the main vocal if you know you know what I mean mm. you know the boyfriend boyfriend you've got the kind of got the oh, kind of stuff that, that mm. backs it up just you know a, a great production great arrangement I feel a sort of there's something sort of really deep there are two sort of prior to the vocals come in there's kind of two sections there's a little picked bit at the beginning and there's a bit where the yeah. Like you said, a sort of rock fiddle comes flying in. And uh, there's a real depth to it, which is then followed up with Miles's vocal, which at times is almost like sort of slightly understated venom, but like very venomous. I don't know. All those things, there's depth to it. It's a bit haunting. I think it's another one that's a bit of a sleeper. I, I think it, it hooks you slowly rather than hooks you quickly. A little little moody bugger is is mm. is cartoon boyfriend probably the most kind of moody track on the on the album. You wouldn't yeah. want to meet it in a dark alley. Put it yeah, broody rather than moody for me. You know, it's 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 it's, mm. it's almost through gritted teeth, but it's like I'm almost there. But like a lot of Miles's lyrics, there's a viciousness to them. Mm. What I really liked about this song, the the middle eight as we call it, kind of uh, the Bit, you know, there were pieces of gold involved in That's just totally different to the rest of the song. It's really weird. I mean, I'm, I've never been a massive fan of the particular band that I'm going to reference, but it's kind of got a Beach Boys kind of vibe to it, which, you know, even though I've not been a big fan, I can appreciate, you know, the, the talent that goes into things, you know, and, and Brian Wilson's the way he used to build sound. Yeah. And that particular part, more than any bit of the song, really does build on that. And now it's just a gaping hole and then goes back in. It's it, it's like, whoa. You know, a bit like a long good vibrations there. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Suddenly comes from nowhere. That to, This, to me, does that. You know, it, yeah. it's, it's going that way. And then it does that. And then it goes back in again. And it works for it. Yeah. In a, in a non-expected way for me. Yeah, no, that makes sense. But it's bookended with the lyric of gaping hole, which again gives mm. it that sort of... It's not a negative conversation per se, but is it more in keeping with the vibe of the of, of the rest of the song, sort of mm. on the way out of that middle eight. But I know what you mean. It sort of lifts. Mm. I don't know. I suppose... Um, trying to think of the word I'm looking for for this in human terms. There's a little bit of schizophrenia there. Mm. Cartoon boyfriend, but another again, as I say, another sleeper for me. Another sleeper. Over time, uh, it becomes quite a, a heavy, haunting slab. Mm. Great tune. 
So, let me ask you a question about the next one. <laughs> mm. I so, think we all know where this is heading. <laughs> now then, good night though is what this this song's called, and it certainly always appears at certain place in a live context. Where where do we think this? possibly should have been deployed on this album. Let's see if we could agree on this. Look, I'll quote from Miles himself, a lot of life, when they did the, the, the album in its entirety. He says, right, okay, I'm going to break with convention because when we normally do these, we do things in order. He says, but who the f- in hell <laughs> decided this song was going here? Sometimes you just marvel at the idiocy of yourself in later life when you look back at things. He goes, so we're not going to play this song where you expect to hear it on the album because it's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's if ever there was, if you if someone said, can you write an album closer? <laughs> this is Ta-da! the kind of song you would come up with. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's almost the, the archetype of, of a, a closer to, to the extent of of being that kind of thing where you can just remove an, a, a, a musician one by one and yeah. have them wander off until, you, until you're just left with the groove. It's very strange track positioning. Uh, yeah. So um, I know I've never seen anyone give any, any explanation of why it was, it was there. It's actually baffling. I mean, somebody with the creative instincts of, of, of miles and co uh, it, it does kind of beg a belief. And then of course, when they played live, they always closed with it. Yeah. So like, well, how did this happen? Which is what you've said, essentially, Miles said, Martin. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's all about that bass line. That bass line's absolutely fucking deadly. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a smashing bass line. Because of the nature of that bass line and the fact that, as Ian said, you can basically boil it down to the groove with people, you know, you get through the song and then the different people leave and drop out and you're left with the drums and the bass yeah. and ultimately just the drums. As it should always be if you've got Martin Giltz as an aside, <laughs> yeah. obviously. We, yeah. we are very much the Martin Giltz Appreciation Society right here now. Yeah, particularly, I think, this album, I think, shows, you know, what a talent he, he was. Yeah, yeah. But a live, a live yeah. behemoth, this song mm. as well. It just mm. does the job. Really weird, like, weird little guitar parts. When we used to play it, I'd just go and double up the bass line a lot of the time because I just wanted to play that and I was jealous. <laughs> so yeah, I mean... It's, it's... Well, it, it is a bit of a jam. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. space to just kind of, you know, improvise and, and feel your way through it. Oh, oh, I used to, yeah, I used to overextend and noodle in, in that space <laughs> quite happily, yeah. but, but but still respecting just that, that bass line, that group, because it was just so good. So good. I mean... The, the actual bass sound itself, it's you know, your kind of archetypal Peter Hook, dirty bastard bass sound mm. that whenever you hear it, you can instantly recognize, you know, the kind of where it's going to go. But this one, really, to start off with a bass line as well, you know, yeah, not many bands would have the kudos to do that. It, like you say, live a behemoth, but even on record, this was a song the first time I heard it. I was like, wow, how how dirty does it sound? How groovy does it sound? How fantastic does it sound? And it, the word that I have for this song is swell, because it, it goes like that and then back down again. And it works so geniusly that 
with a band that I joined, there was a particular song. It's like, no, we've got to change it so it does this. It, it wasn't a case I want to be the wonder stuff. It was a case <laughs> I love the structure of it that it, yeah. it, it it's like a bridge that it arcs up and down, and it works so beautifully. It's it's linear. It allows such scope for creativity, you know, in a live environment. Yeah. But as a as a studio track, to me, it was never going to be a single because of uh, you know the way it's it's formatted as a song but it's one of my favorite wonder stuff songs because i just love how it how it can has the scope to do whatever the fuck the musicians that are playing it want to do and what a little epitaph for bob jones as well mm. in terms of baseline if mm. i think if if piece of sky hadn't gone where it where it'd gone in certain ways you could apply this to bob it's mm. just yeah Utterly mm. superb, utterly superb, but in the wrong place. Yes, <laughs> but the other thing I really love about this, I love the fact that you can actually hear something that was possibly meant just for the studio, but it belongs. Just that, I think we should all start now. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, to me, it just makes me smile. It's like, right, okay, right, bang. You got that dirty start and then bang and it's in. Yeah. Oh, love it, love it, love it. One of Ian's handbrake turns into the next song. <laughs> yeah, again, you couldn't get more more different going into Unfaithful, which is a proper country, or, or blues, bluegrass mm. probably is closer. Because earlier on, obviously when we introduced the folky instruments in Golden Green, that was very much banjo-led, whereas where Unfaithful is all about the fiddle, really. Mm. I think what's telling about this is sometimes you get fiddle in a kind of rock setting, a bit like we were talking about a couple of tracks back in Cartoon Boyfriend, where the the fiddle is is a rock instrument in that. In this, and that you know, and it, it speaks to the the, ta- <laughs> the talents of the fiddle player. Um, this has proper twiddlies in it, so. Mm. Rather than just doing the da da da, kind of things da diddly da diddly da, it's got those proper turnarounds and and, and little kind of runs and hammer-ons and things that are very very bluegrassy as well, and can sound bad if you put them in the wrong place or don't do them right. And it's they just pull it off brilliantly, really. But it is this one is a bluegrass song. It doesn't. I can't find any alt rock leanings in this one no. at, at all. It's an unashamed bluegrass song. It's it again the word that we've used before about uh, quite a few songs. It's got a such a melancholic feel to it, and the, the the fiddle playing really kind of plays to that. You know, it's got that sadness that pulls on your heartstrings. It makes mm. you feel something, and again, the lyrics are just really somber. Ironic that it's such a good tune and it's got no drums in it with mm. a. With the band that has guilty in it again, there, there I go, there I go. I don't, I don't know if you'd always ascribe all bluegrass in the way that I'm about to. I don't think you would, but it's got that sort of drunken bar vibe to it. Sort of lush. There's a sort of lush predictability of the subject matter, sort of brought it, brought into focus in this sort of melancholy, alcoholic haze in a smoke-filled room. It's just that. It's that thing. It embodies it perfectly. It's got the proper kind of slurring and timing 
drift of a proper acoustic yeah. song. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if someone tried to record this these days, it would, the timing would be bang <laughs> on the grid. Yeah. It would sound like robots were playing it, and it would just lose all, all that feel. You know, this is it's the kind of thing where you thought if if they were in in a corner of a bar playing this, it wouldn't sound any different <laughs> to yeah. the recorded uh, yeah. version. Yeah. You can take your quantizer and give it to your mum. <laughs> what, what I particularly like about this, again, from a, a music point of view, is if you listen to the lyrics of the first and second verses, how the song is different. The mm-hmm. second verse is, you know, it's, it's got almost like a diffident Tilbrook kind of oh, yeah. almost baritoneness to the second verse, where the first one is it's two that are going up. Yeah. Very much on the second one, it, it's got that more somber, different Tilbrook squeeze-esque, mm. you know, mm. wonderful lushness to it. And it uh, it prevents it from just being all the same all the way through in what is, you know, if you say, again, it's a very simple song, but its beauty is in simplicity. I, I think that the, the vocal harmonies are interesting on this one because you can actually hear both parts very mm. clearly. Yeah. So going back to the, the, the stuff you were saying earlier, the, the kind of um, uh, Beach Boysy type reference, a lot of those harmonies, they're very lush and it's all compressed and squeezed together. And so you've got this almost like Queen Bohemian Rhapsody kind of thing. You've got this kind of almost choir of completely unison harmonies going together. Whereas this, you can hear both parts. Yes. Yeah. And that's really nice because you get to hear, I assume it's Miles and Malk rather than two Miles that's in a studio. You get to hear the intonation, the dis- sort of rasps in the, in the voice. And can, I, can I just point out that two Miles is in a studio <laughs> was never anything that was going to work for very long. <laughs> not, not, at that, not at that time. <laughs> Uh, but but it is you, you can kind you can kind of you know how you can focus in with the ears you can listen to just the the the, the kind of backing or, or harmony vocal mm. and 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 almost hear that as a as a lead as as well which is really nice and you can get away with it on a you know a, a more kind of acousticy song like this because there's a bit more room for that kind of thing if you if you've got kind of loud guitars and drums in there you're kind of jumping on some of the frequencies mm. that those vocals need to live in and so you know there's there's not so much room to hit to pick them out individually i kind of love the love the fact that you ha- they're doing a tune that isn't it shows a a level of like musical competence in a certain way because they you know they, this kind of song is you you set the the go-kart off at the top of the hill and go down and you kind of got no brakes you've just got to go keep going and keep it together it's not you know i say you haven't got a drummer you haven't got a sequence you're playing this sort of older style sort of homogenous sort of thing going on and i really like that and i think that could even in the context of the other songs it's the only one that is that style of song i think it really 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 fits there and, and does a good job in that sense and says a lot about the wonder stuff says a lot about the wonder stuff yeah. i think it's i've never actually thought about it until you just said it now had kind of miles and malt done more of this kind of thing you know because because it does evoke a very much of a squeeze kind of vibe to it, you know, the, the, the harmonies. What could have happened if they'd uh, have done more of that kind of thing? Because there's no other band other than Squeeze that really employed that kind of very two different vocals singing at the same mm. time to, you know, such commercial potential. 
if they could have maintained what they were, they'd been a lot happier doing it for a lot longer. The <laughs> stuff it, I mean, it doesn't break my heart yeah. in a way because the four no. albums, we know, well, yeah. well, let's say five albums if you include all the B sides from from yeah. construction. Absolute uh, embarrassment of riches. It's superb songs. It annoys me to hell that he's that him and the band are not more appreciated in terms of British pop, British pop alternative. You know, in certain conversations, they should be mm. a lot more prominently alluded to for me because yeah. uh, they they were superb. And, and this is just an example of one of the flavors they could go. But like I say, if they'd have been happier to go longer and all got on better and not had some of the issues that they had, which I know was you know I know was symptomatic of making a lot of the the, the magic. But my God, if we could have had another four albums. Uh, with <laughs> yeah. with this makeup of people, and they could have mm. sort of kept it together, particularly with with Bob Jones. It, oh man, it could have been so exciting. But let's Things not. Things are meant uh, up in a certain way. Yeah, let's not yeah. let's not complain. Let's love what we've got. Let's love what we've got. Definitely. So then, Big Oak Trees. Mm. This was the this was the most interesting song for me to listen to because this is the one that I don't have a relationship with or haven't really ever gotten particularly close to. A kind of uh, the, the signature parts certainly stick with me. I absolutely love that sort of low, low harmony under Big Oak Trees. I think you've mentioned baritone previously. They sort of feel like that. So it has a little bit of a sort of hook in me in that way. But otherwise, I don't know. It's just not a song that perhaps if I put in playlists or when we did them live or all all these little things, it's not, I don't know. It's just not a song that came with tons of consideration in my head, but a good song. I think that's interesting because... To, to my mind it's it's kind of a rewritten wish away it's got the same bass part in the chorus mm. as wish away has in uh in the verses you can actually sing because i tried this earlier you can sing the wish away verse over <laughs> over this verse mm. which i mean uh, uh, it's not a massive challenge because the there's not a, a huge chord progression going on there to con- conflict with anything i think that's part, one of the reasons why it connects back to um a like groove machine for me a little bit because it's it's got echoes of, of that in there but it's, it's definitely the same shuffle and and, and um, that same bass part but i i like it it's just it's big it's you know it's those kind of sliding you know big chords uh signature parts i yeah i think it's i think it's great it feels like it has a its foot another couple of centimeters in the rock door as opposed to the pop door which again makes it makes it a little bit different because of its leaning on i think it is i think the song sounds reasonably unique as well on the album Again, you mentioned about the baritone. I, I really, really like the, the the fact that the the lyrics, the way that the 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 delivery comes off, it's not what you expect, particularly on the chorus. It, it's quite a an interesting harmony on it. I think it's a three part that one by the sound of it when I hear it in my head <laughs> from memory. Forgive us for the crimes we're about to commit again. What a great opening line. Cynical worldview that Miles always had, uh, but still could produce moments of absolute joy for other people. He does it so we don't have to. <laughs> yeah, and and the outro as well. The way it ends, mm. it's got like one of those uh, sort of I don't know, like a chant with a vocal, mm. not ad libbed, but a a, vo- a vocal overlap that's moving more and a bit of a monotone chant. I love that kind of thing. 
Um, again, something that the Wonder Stuff employ now and again to uh, great aplomb. We're nearly there. This is this is pretty record time for us, actually. We're doing pretty well here. On to room 410. I really, I really like room 410. This is... I, 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 I'm using this word very, very tenuously, but there's this like very, the vagaries of a, an industrial feel to the particular loop that they have on the beginning. Uh, and I love the, the slow moving filter on it, on, on, the, on the sound, the fact that the sort of filter takes seconds to go through its cycle and so on and so forth. I think that's mm. quite, quite a sort of majestic, a majestic thing. And also I think sort of pace wise the 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 album closes in a similar way to the way it opens i think this is a that's the point i was about to make it's very very similar it's yeah. like, hang a sec. again the bass riff has that one and two on the same chord and then a change for three and a change for four in a very similar way to the opener mm. so it you know, so if we're looking for reasons why Goodnight, though, isn't at the end, maybe you could say, well, this is kind of a reflection of the opener. And so there's some there's some kind of rhyming there. <laughs> there. If we're looking for a desperate reason why <laughs> that insane decision was was uh, was made. It does balance it. There is a there is a, a sub. I, I don't know if you put the album together, though. I don't even subliminally, <laughs> even subliminally. I've no bloody idea how you would. Oh, I know. We'll go with this because these two are a bit similar. So we'll put this song that shouldn't be the opener on the Space. beginning, and this song. Let's just forget. Like I'm ne- in an amnesic way that that other song's there, and put this song on the end. <laughs> no, it's, it is absolutely crazy. It, the, the lovely thing about this is you don't kind of feel too bad saying it because Miles has come out and pretty much said half of that anyway. <laughs> so it's not. It's not. Uh, you don't feel like you you guiltily dissing one of your absolute heroes or anything like that <laughs> and i love the other thing like the, the the breakdown for this with the loops and the r's and simple stuff simple stuff but really really nice and effective from an orchestration point of view it does sound like a bit of a jam though um yeah, yeah. you know mm-hmm. i don't I don't know quite what the provenance of the the writing of this was but i suspect there may have been some playing it for half an hour <laughs> non-stop and boiling it down kind of thing Miles being a big fan of Pill, to me, right. on this song, Death Disco, mm. uh, Swan Lake, um, kind of vibe from that era, you know, the early eras of, of Pill, Keith Levine, God rest his soul, where he used to employ, you know, it, it was quite, there wasn't a lot of change to it, and this song is quite similar in that fact. It's, mm. it, it, and in fact, I think I don't know if it was on the studio version. I'm, you know, I'm kind of from years, but there's very much a little that little coda of, of uh, Swan Lake, yeah, <laughs> which was done so interestingly by Public Image Limited. All right, uh, and Miles, you know, has the opportunity, you know, with the Wonder Stuff to play gigs with Pill, and I know that's something that made him feel incredibly proud because when you're a kid and you're growing up listening to this archetypal genius that is John Lydon at his craziest and more creative once he'd left the Sex Pistols and looking to interact with other people that were creative. I think that's where Miles was at this time, you know, employing other people and, you know, Pat Collier had, you know, been in punk bands, so he, he knew, but he also had a pop sensibility, mm. but also getting people like James Taylor and Martin, uh, Martin Bellin to add different flavours to it. It's like, right, okay, well, we can carry on writing the same kind of riff all the time, but we can be a bit more creative here and 
trying different things, like trying more loops than there was on the first album. And the harmonies certainly moved on from the first album to a degree where we're talking about the Beach Boys and we're talking about Squeeze and you know and bands that were known for having harmonies, you know, that with a great pop sensibility. You know, these were all you know big selling artists, and uh, I agree with Paddy's early comment. You know, it's fr- it frustrates me as a fan of bands where you know it's like when people talk about Gary, oh he wrote Cars, yeah, and three hundred and eighteen other bloody songs. <laughs> oh, wonder stuff, size of a cow and dizzy. Right, okay, here's an album. Go and listen to it, you moron. <laughs> you know, construction for the modern idiot, and the modern idiot is here and plain to see. You know, um, and it really does wind me up when a band have got so many great songs and people know them for one or two. It's like, I'll be, I'm going to help myself here. I went to see Muse a few years ago at Sheffield Arena. I'd been to see them at small gigs, and I saw them at this gig. And 90% of the audience knew five songs. Hmm. And yeah. for the rest of the set, either talked or were indifferent or stared at the mobile phones. From the era of albums, you know, we're talking about an album here, you know, a tangible thing where we used to buy albums on vinyl and you'd look at the artwork and you'd look who produced it and you'd look who did the artwork and you'd recognise a name from somebody else, you know. You'd look at the thanks and you'd look at all these things and you'd be so excited. And then you'd put the record on and there was another facet to it. You know, and you turn it over and listen to it. I know with cassettes with you, Paddy, because you're a bit younger. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> a bit younger oh, than oh me. Oh, man. Oh, man. God, it's <laughs> nice for somebody to say those words to me. <laughs> but, no, it, it was it was an era that I was so excited to buy albums. And, like, from the artwork up, up even, it was an exciting thing to get this album. It, I mean, like, originally it didn't even have any name on it. It just, it was on a sticker. Because the record company, the last minute, insisted it had to have the band name on, so they put this horrible sticker on it, and they just bunged it anywhere. But it's a piece of art, and this particular song has a lot of bravery in it. Like I say, it's, it's an odd one to end on when we know there's this other song just kind of going, Hoo! but it's not the wonder stuff by numbers, but it's the wonder no. stuff, definitely. You can you can mm. tell it's the wonder stuff, but it's it's doing some kind of dreamy psychedelia rock but still very much in a rock sphere yeah no i know what you mean about the album thing you try and tell some uh some young teenager these days that well yeah you you had to pay you know 15 to 25 quid for a solid piece of media that gave you 12 songs at a time it's like you, you really did appreciate what you got and mm. you rinsed it you know because mm. that was the way it was delivered to you oh that's another oh, if if I was ever tempted to move away from uh, from the album uh, review for format for one <laughs> one episode, it was it would be to bang on about how music's changed over the years in terms of delivering on screens. <laughs> but anyway, digress, digress, digress. So the Wonder Stuff that was the Wonder Stuff second album. Hope was a really interesting album. I think it was interesting because it was experimental. They were growing. They were changing. They were adding things. They were. Sadly, there were elements of the band which were pulling away from the band and ultimately did. Oftentimes, I think those kind of albums are some of the best to talk about as well because they they give you something to go at because there's uh, these ideas of little fractures and little bits of uneasiness and little bits of things that don't hang together. Uh, But again, ultimately, it comes back to the same thing. It's um, an embarrassment of riches in many ways. So, 
I guess in a year's time then <laughs> for uh, for our third anniversary episode, it'll be Never Loved Elvis, which my God, there's a another, another fascinating and brilliant album to talk about. Yes, indeed. Although I have to admit. Uh, the two years from now construction for modern idiot one is the one that I'd actually be more interested in talking about because that uh, that there's an album that was underappreciated by the people and the band who wrote it for me. I a bit of a masterpiece, especially as uh, they alluded to uh, putting all the wrong songs on the album. Sort of now they should have just made it bloody done what Prince did and made it a treble album. <laughs> That's all they should have done with that. Yeah, well as we know, as we know. Sadly, the the artist doesn't have the power. No, uh, you know Robert Smith with Four Thirteen Dream. You know it was supposed to be a double album, a single album. You think, well, hang a sec. A band whose album's getting to number two and number one has no say in what's going out. That's because of the way the industry is. Mm. Very much. Very but, much. There we go. Okay. Well, thanks, guys. That was really enjoyable. That was Hope by the Wonder Stuff. Good night, everybody. Bye. Good night, though.